welcome to Church of the Well podcast. Thank you for joining us. Advent comes from the Latin words meaning the coming. As we prepare for Christmas tomorrow, we continue our celebration of this age-old tradition by lighting the second-to-last candle on the Advent wreath. Each candle represents a gospel gift given to us through faith in Jesus, hope, peace, love, and joy. The past four weeks, these candles have been lit in anticipation of both the celebration of the birth of Jesus at Christmas tomorrow and his imminent return in the future. The light of each candle reminds us that Jesus is the light of the world. We begin by relighting the candles of hope, peace, and love. John 15, 12 through 17. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from you, from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should, should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. We now light the fourth candle, the candle of joy. With Christians around the world, we light this candle as we prepare our hearts and minds for the celebration of Christmas. May this light be a symbol of the joy that is found in Jesus alone. John 15, 11 reads, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Romans 10, 9 through 15. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is the Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we just want to thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity we have once again to just be here as a family and celebrate. Lord, we ask that you would speak very clearly to our hearts and our minds today. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Good morning. morning. We're small and mighty today, which is awesome. Um, So obviously, we're talking about joy today. We've lit all of the candles but one. So tonight, we'll light the last candle, the... It's purple, it represents the royalty of Jesus, and so I hope that you'll be here tonight. Um, Just as a quick announcement, advertisement for it, it's very simple. Uh, It'll be candle lit, we're just gonna basically read through the Christmas story together, take communion together, and then we'll send you on your way to be with your families. So I hope you can join us. Um, I've been, I always like talking about joy, and I talk about joy quite a bit, but, This Christmas, it has been an interesting um, observation, meaning I'm watching kind of what's going on around the city at Christmas time. I'm around a lot of people. We kind of see what's happening. And I know we're coming out of finally this, the city starting to feel more normal than it did in the last few years. People are out and about again um, with all the pandemic stuff finally kind of just completely dissipating. I've been watching a lot of Christmas movies. Wow, there's some really bad ones. Um, Most of them tend to wrap around, if you watch the Hallmark stuff, they tend to wrap around, there's basically like four Hallmark movies, right? And then they all kind of just change kind of how things work. Um, But one of the things that I see constantly in these movies, because I'm guilty pleasure, right, is that they're constantly talking about this thing called the spirit of Christmas. And I don't, it feels like 
The city as a whole is attempting to claim something called the spirit of Christmas. The movies that we watch are attempting to grab hold or refine because it seems like somebody's lost it, the spirit of Christmas. We watched a movie last night that was kind of this take on the Jacob Marley story, right? And it's the three ghosts, they show up and it's an attempt to, to change somebody's life, but it's all revolving around this idea of the spirit of Christmas because the redemption comes on Christmas day and it's, you have this spirit of Christmas. And I've been trying to figure out what does it mean to have a spirit of Christmas? Like, I, I don't, I don't know what that actually means. The more I've thought about it, the more I've tried to wrap my head around. We get really emotional around this idea with movies and decorations and such to say, okay, well, we're trying to encapsulate the spirit of Christmas. There's nothing wrong with it. I'm just trying to put definition to it. And this is what I've concluded, is there's something about Christmas time that wraps around family and friends and memories, good and bad, that we as human beings, we, we must have experienced some sort of emotion at some point in our life, and we call the spirit of Christmas whatever that emotion is, and then we each year we attempt to recapture that. So I'm gonna give you a quick example. Like, I'm a Disney guy. You can judge that, you're welcome to, okay? But I grew up going to Disneyland. So like, when I went to Disneyland as a kid, there was an emotion that was brought over me. You were brought into this like magical world where everything was different and bright and shiny and new and fun and happy. And so there's times when I'll still go and I still, I'm attempting to reclaim that emotion that I felt as a little child. It doesn't feel the same, <laughs> thank goodness, right? Because if it did, you'd be like, you got issues. Um, it doesn't feel the same, but there's an attempt to kind of reclaim it. Like I want when I walk through that tunnel in California at Disneyland and start walking down Main Street to feel the same thing that I did as a child, but I don't. It's different. And so we started taking our kids to Disneyland and then I would watch them experience it and I'm experiencing it through their eyes. So this is like the closest thing I can come up to was what is the spirit of Christmas and what is it that we're trying to reclaim? And I think as Christ followers, it's okay for us to say, okay, there's a spirit of Christmas that we're trying to, to you know, get emotionally around. But what it really boils down to is this sense of joy. I've defined joy for you guys. If you've come to Church at the Well at all, you've heard me probably define joy. Joy is an attitude of gratitude regardless of the circumstance. Okay, so let, let me put some, some legs to that. Attitude of gratitude regardless of circumstance, meaning there's something inside of a Christ follower that can be grateful regardless of what's going on in our lives and in the world around us. And that gratitude that we're able to draw from in the midst of difficulty or great celebration, we define as joy. And the reason that we define it as joy is because joy is something that, it's, it's more than an emotion. It's, it has to be grounded in something. You know, if we, all, all this throughout this entire series, we've talked about how we receive these gifts, right? And that we already have them as Christ followers. So love, joy, peace. We have this stuff that the Lord has given us and it's, it's in us. We don't have to achieve joy. We don't have to achieve love. We don't have to find it. It's given to us through the power of the Holy Spirit in Christ. Meaning you have all of the love as a Christ follower that you need. You don't have to find more. You just have to live in it. Now joy is interesting because joy, it almost kind of encapsulates it all because if it's grounded in this idea of gratitude, then there's an emotion behind this gift that we're given that I think the world attempts to imitate as often as possible. And I think this is the, in Christmas time, we call it the Christmas spirit. And I think the other thing that's really fascinating is this idea of us mixing up happiness and joy, right? And I don't want this whole sermon to be about that, but happiness is revolving around happenings. Joy is revolving around gratitude. Um, joy doesn't mean that you're happy all the time. Remember, it's an attitude of gratitude regardless of the circumstance, which means that in the midst of a difficult circumstance, you have the ability in Christ to experience joy. Joy. 
But like all of these gifts that we've been given, it has to be grounded in something. So the question becomes, well, what am I grateful for? Now, <laughs> here's the thing. I've attempted to imitate joy in my life in times. I, I mean, I've been a Christ follower a long time. I came to faith in Jesus at a young age. My journey and my sanctification process is long and just like all of yours, and it's mixed with moments of mountaintop experiences and moments where I feel like I'm in the valley. Right? That's called being a Christ follower in a sin-cursed world in a sin-cursed body. And as I've looked at the things that I've done in my life to attempt to emulate or imitate joy outside of Jesus, it's typically revolving around things that are going to try to make me happy in a moment. So it's, I don't have this. If I get it, there's going to be an emotion that builds up in me, and we're going to call it happiness if I get it. But what I've realized over time is that anything that I try to put my joy in or define as joy that's an imitation, it ultimately goes away very quickly. So the strength of joy is grounded in the object of our joy. Or the strength of joy is grounded in what we are truly grateful for. Now there's things I'm grateful for. I'm grateful for my family. So if I say in moments of desperation, moments of pain, I'm grateful for my family and I can say in, in, in when times are hard and things are difficult, I can put my gratitude into the family that I have an attempt to pull joy from that, but there's a flaw in it because sometimes it's my family that's the problem. Right? 90% of the time that's me, but when the family's the problem, it's really hard to find gratitude in what's bringing you problem. Now you can substitute this with anything, so I don't know, like if you just process through, I, I get challenged, I had a, a a professor years ago challenged me. He said, Kevin, if, and I know he didn't make it up, but he said, if you had tomorrow only what you were grateful for today, what would you have? Right? And then he, he brought it down to like, would you have toes? Would you have fingers? Like, the litmus test for this is how, how, how grateful are you for things? Right? But even in that, if we find things that we're so grateful for, and there's not, we need to be grateful, but we're grateful, and it's those objects that are the focus of our gratitude, then ultimately they're gonna fail us as well. And this makes things very fascinating, which means that true joy, true joy has to be grounded in something that isn't ever a mess, that isn't ever changing, that isn't dependent upon me getting an emotion from it. If true joy is an attitude of gratitude regardless of circumstance, then it has to be strong enough that things that I'm thankful for when they feel like they're going down or they're a mess, that I still have the ability to ground my joy in something that isn't changing. And this is where the gospel comes into play. And so, as we go through this passage, and this will be quick, um, as we go through this passage, I, I'm going to appeal to, I, I'm hoping to appeal to your heart in a way. And, and I, you know, when I look and I observe churches and I observe our church and me as a leader and Pastor Matt, and I look at kind of who we are and your church kind of becomes a, a replica of its leadership and not just any business or whatever. I'm like, man, as a Reformed church, we tend to be heady. There's nothing wrong with being heady. You have to be heady. You, meaning, you have to intellectualize the fact this is going to talk about that. But oftentimes, for us, we can actually err on a heady side and not bring the heart with it. And so, I want to find this balance, but I'm hoping that today, maybe as you're processing through everything that we've just talked about, 
that you're going, okay, we need to understand that it's not just enough to know it here. It has to hit here. And so if you haven't turned to Romans chapter 10, please do that. I'm going to start at verse 9, which is never a good thing to do because it's in the middle of a sentence, but we're going to do it anyway. Starts this way, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now the context of this is the author of Romans, Paul, is talking about the law before this, and he's saying the law is detrimental to us because we can't follow it. We know this. This is the whole picture of the Old Testament. And then he's saying there's hope. There's, there's good news because, we get to verse 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is the gospel. It's the, probably the, the simplest sentence that explains the gospel for us in, in very basic terms. So let's talk about this. So if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Confessing with your mouth is proclaiming something that is true. You're, in this specific context, what we're claiming with our mouth is that Jesus is who he says that he is. So what is that? That Jesus came and lived the life that we were supposed to live, that he died the death that we deserve, and that three days later he rose conquering sin, Satan, and death forever. That's the gospel. But there's a little bit more to it because in order for us to truly get it in our head, we also have to make it personal, which means we have to understand that Jesus didn't just come to save the world. He came to save you and me. Meaning it has to be intellectualized to a place where it makes sense to me and is personalized to me. So for me to profess that Jesus is Lord is one thing, but for me to profess that Jesus is my Lord is something different. Now, we have passages of Scripture, right, that talk about the fact that this intellectual understanding that Jesus is Lord isn't enough to save someone. It's important. We have to profess it. But it's not enough. Because we know, like, if I mean, if you were to sit down, if we had a talk show, and it was like, okay, I'm going inter- to interview our enemy, Satan, today. And I'm like, hey, what's up, Lucifer? And hey, does Jesus exist? And do you know what he's going to say? Yeah. And I'm going to say, is Jesus king? And he's like, yeah. Is everything that we read in Scripture true? Yeah. Do your demons believe that Jesus exists? Yeah. Are they saved? Well, I'm trying to get there. But I'm trying to do it in my own way. Because I want to be the one that's worshipped. So on and so forth. Right? We know all the theology around that. that. The understanding that Jesus is Lord isn't salvation. It's a component of it. It's... It has to be personalized to a point where you realize that the message that's given, what you're believing, the doctrine that we talk about, a doctrine is so important, and you have to have good doctrine, right? We, we, we hammer this in constantly. But it's not enough just to have good doctrine. I know some really intelligent people who can quote my doctrine to me but don't believe. And so what I've figured out here is that it's not the heady stuff. It's not good doctrine that brings joy, per se. It's when that doctrine is able to be applied to me specifically that joy comes. Because I'm excited that you get saved. But I'm more excited that I'm saved. Right? So we move into the next component here. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and what? You believe in your heart that God, ro- that God raised him from the dead. You believe in your heart. This is complicated. I, so I have a biology degree. I'm a science guy. The heart is nothing but a muscle that pumps blood. Okay? I, I know Valentine's Day, we all have these symbols of hearts, which I don't even know where that came from because it doesn't look anything like that. 
Um, we talk about our heart being kind of our, I don't even know how to describe this without using other words, you, like your, your kind of internal being. It's really interesting because Scripture uses the word heart to say there's, there's something there that has to do with your soul. It's, in, it's also very interesting. So for a guy, like I have, I don't know if you guys know this, I have Crohn's disease, right, which is a, a disease of the gut. Scripture talks about the gut a lot as well. There's a word, and it's, I won't say it in Greek, but it, it, it actually kind of connects the heart and the gut. And it, it unites these things together, and it's like, you know, when you say, like, I have that gut feeling. Well, your gut doesn't really have feelings, right? But there's something deep inside of you, your heart, your gut. We, we use these words to say, it, it, it's believed so strong that it's impacting me personally. Have you ever felt something so strong that it's like you've gotten sick over it? Or you felt something so strong. If you think like the first time you loved someone and the emotions that overwhelm your body, you're like, you see them and you start shaking, right? Or you, um, your heart starts pounding faster because emotions can impact us physically. So we have these, we understand that there's this heart, there's this gut, there's this kind of internal soul that we define as us. It's a, a major component of who we are and how we feel and what, how we respond to certain things. And it says here in the scripture, we confess with our mouth, it's our head, but we believe in our heart, meaning it has to go from great doctrine for the world, like our enemy would understand, to saving doctrine for me. And there's something that comes with that. There's, there is an emotion. There's, there's a, a, a heart change. In fact, in the book of Ezekiel, it says that the Lord, when we're at our salvation, He literally removes the heart of stone and gives us a new heart of flesh. Like, our, our heart that we're born with is, is wicked and, and a mess, and he removes it and he gives us something different. It's, it's a new heart. He, he changes everything. It's, it's our salvation, the Holy Spirit enters us and everything changes. We become a new creation, born again. All of these things that the Scriptures attempt to help us understand what's transpired. Something new is birthed. It's in that new birth that this concept of joy becomes different than what it was before. Because what we realize, what, what the heart has to gain is to say, okay, I'm reading Scripture and thank God by His enlightenment of the Holy Spirit as He enlightens Scripture for us, we can see truth and we can study it and we can make changes within our life. But that joy that he talks about is grounded in something that never changes and that something that never changes is exactly what's being talked about here. So I'll have sometimes people will come and say, Kevin, I, I believe, or I, I have knowledge of Jesus, but I don't, I'm not experiencing a joy like you've talked about. And so when I hear that, the first thing is, okay, it doesn't mean you don't believe, but that's the first thing that comes to mind. Is, is, your, is your belief system a religion that's grounded in just knowing stuff? Or has it become an actual belief in your heart that overwhelms you? We just sang this song and I, there's a line in it. Every time it makes me cry. And it says, I, I hear the chains hit the ground. I'm, I almost cried just saying it. I don't, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. But a reason that I get emotional with that, I assume, is because I picture what Jesus did for me as the chains hit the ground. Amen. And I know that I believe. Why? Because I still remember the moment and I still 
get emotional thinking about Jesus dropping those chains. And I'm grateful for it. I don't know, like I could stop here, I'm not going to, but I could. And I could say, um, just, gra- just based on this, as we kind of look in the mirror, right? How do you define your faith and your belief? Here's another question, because this is the one I have to ask. How do others define my faith and belief? Okay. We're educated individuals, but are people defining, oh, well, Kevin believes because he has two master's degrees and is finishing his doctorate? No. Does Kevin believe because he's reformed and has really good theology? No. How do I know that Kevin believes? One of the reasons that I hope that people know is they see a joy in me that is never removed because it's grounded in Jesus alone. These things work together. But I'm, in in the world that I'm seeing now, and especially in, I I think one of the things that's happening is we have this need for, um, for, for doctrine to be brought back. It's so important. But we also have a need for us to go beyond the head and really feel it and have it sink in here. So what is your joy grounded in? What is your belief grounded in? Is it... Now there's, a, a, there's an actually the opposite of this too because sometimes what you'll hear from certain groups of people is they'll say, well, I know I'm saved because there's this thing and I've heard it called like there's a burning in the bosom. <laughs> right? Like it burns here. Like I feel it. And I think there's an error on saying we're leaning more towards emotion and you have bad doctrine, right? Um, Meaning, I love the idea of Jesus saving me, but I don't really want to really get to know who he is and how that impacts me. And so I would say there's probably two groups of people in here. We all lean one way or the other. It just works that way. You're either going to lead more on the emotional end or you're going to be more on the heady end. We're created differently. Nothing wrong with that. But true joy is found in understanding that both have to be impacted because of who Jesus is. So if we keep reading, it says, for, the heart, for with the heart one believes and is justified. With the heart, one believes and is justified. Why? Because Scripture is tying belief to what you profess to the heart. It's not just something that's verbalized. It's internalized. It it has to be believed here, here, whatever that is. And you're justified, meaning... The gospel, we talked about justification at the beginning of this series. The gospel justifies us. Why? Because Jesus pays the penalty for us. So when God the Father looks at us, he sees us through the blood of Jesus, and he sees Jesus' righteousness bestowed upon us. We are justified. Justice. The death penalty has been paid. It's a beautiful thing to think about. But that... Your heart, your belief is what justifies you. Your belief. And then with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. You have to have both. I, I pick on doctrine a little bit just because that's my, my bent. Um, I tend to lean more toward, like, I'll oftentimes go, sometimes I don't want to feel, so I move into the heady. Sometimes, I mean, I guess I go back and forth. Sometimes I just want to feel, right? And I want to forget the heady. They're both important. 
Um, but I, I have come to the conclusion that based on this, joy is going to be grounded in finding the balance between the two in Christ. You have to find this ability to say, that's true, and it's true for me. Verse 12, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. (sighs) Okay, first section basically deals with this idea that we need to understand what joy is grounded in. It's grounded in Jesus. It's not just head, it's also heart. It's, it's what we believe and what we profess. Those two things run hand in hand. We can evaluate our own hearts, our own abilities, our own minds, how much time we spend um, with the Lord and what that looks like and what it's meaningful for us. That first section, it just helps us understand like what's that joy grounded in, but then the joy gets increased when we understand that it really has nothing to do with us and it's for everyone. This is, this is the part that makes joy so interesting. It, what Scripture promises will bring joy to me is the same thing that Scripture promises will bring joy to you. That is crazy. Because as human beings, and especially in a culturally diverse city, we're always talking about our differences. And we find identity in those things. But what's fascinating is you can't find joy in those things. Scripture says that the only way you're going to find joy is by actually coming to the same thing as everyone else that finds joy. There's a a unity that has to take place. There's this need to say there is no joy found in anything except professing who Jesus is and believing who Jesus is and being saved. So then we read things like, well, the Jew and the Greek, and this was Paul's way of saying the world. The entire world, doesn't matter where you come from, what your background is, what your nationality is, what color you are, how much money you have, what your political aspirations are, what your political bents are, none of that matters when it comes to this. It says that if you want to experience joy, it's gonna come from the same spot regardless. So if I want an individual that I have never met before, that I meet on the train for the first time, to experience joy, I know that they have to, the only way they're going to experience it is if they come to faith in Jesus, if they profess with their mouth and believe in their heart. That's the only way. Well, that makes things really fun, right? Because it means that all that other stuff, that peripheral stuff, is opportunity to help an individual hear who Jesus is and what he's done and try to help them understand it in their head and believe it in their heart. But it's one goal. It's one goal. Um, This goes, it really is a weird way of thinking in our our world. In a world that's attempting to constantly find individuality and constantly looking for well, this is what I feel is right, or this is what I want to be right, or this is what I want to be true, or what's true for you is true for you, and true for me is true for me. The gospel says you can live that way, but you won't ever experience joy. Because you're going to constantly be putting your gratitude in something that's going to fail you over and over again. However, the gospel says, no matter where you're from or who you are, this is the answer. It's the old Sunday school adage, right? I grew up and there was Sunday school. And if I didn't know the answer, I just said Jesus. Because the Sunday school teacher could never argue with an answer that's Jesus, 
right? Even if it's Moses, it's still Jesus. He's a type of Jesus, <laughs> right? Good doctrine. <laughs> when we're talking about, like we're watching the city move and we're watching Christmas movies and we're looking at people attempting to find the spirit of Christmas so that they can experience an emotion or something that they've maybe experienced in the past that they're trying to relive. Do you realize what I've come to the conclusion is what they're actually looking for is the thing that's going to allow them to experience that emotion always. And do you realize that we have the answer to that? (laughs) That's overwhelming to me to think about. You don't, you'll never meet a single person in your entire life whose joy isn't dependent upon a relationship with Christ, ever. That, it's, there's so many analogies that you could use for this, but if we, I mean, we sing about this sometimes, the disease is sin, the remedy is Jesus, you have the remedy, you know the remedy, Hopefully you're living the remedy and there's no other remedy out there. It's Jesus. So here's the coolest thing about this. It's no matter who you meet, no matter who's around you, no matter what they've experienced, it's always gonna come back to the same answer. You need Jesus. You're searching for joy in your life. You're searching for love. You're searching for peace. You're searching for hope. But ultimately, you can't have those things without Jesus because everything will fail you. So the answer is Jesus. And this is, now here, this gets to the conundrum of the question. If we have the answer, why aren't we asked about it all the time? This is what, like, I I, I frustrate myself with this because I see my own failures constantly. I'll see days where I'm like, I know why nobody's asking me about Jesus because I'm not showing any joy of a hope or a love or a peace in my life that they would be interested in even having. It appears that what I'm holding on to is the same thing that they're holding on to and neither one of us has figured it out yet. And we're on this journey. So we hear in our culture, it'll be things like, oh, I gotta go find myself. What does that mean? Well, it means I don't know who I am yet and I'm trying to figure it out, so I'm gonna go somewhere else and search it out, emotionally, physically, whatever. We have the answer. I want you guys to wrap your head around this. I had somebody recently say, um, they they were talking about Christmas decorations and they were upset. They didn't understand Christmas decorations from a, Christian perspective, and I'm like, uh, uh, okay, get it, but let's think about this for a minute. Do you realize that the entire world, mostly, celebrates the birth of Jesus? And many of them don't even know they're celebrating it. Do you realize how powerful that is? Like there's a handful of people that celebrate the birth of Kevin Scott, right? Thank you, Pastor Matt. Like, and I appreciate that, but can you imagine, like think about this for a second. Think if you saw all over Twitter, Facebook, CNN, everything, on your birthday, people were celebrating, and they didn't even know why, but you knew it was your birthday. God is so powerful. His glory is so enormous that individuals who choose not to believe, who refuse to believe, still acknowledge the fact that he was born by their own detriment. They decorate for something they don't even understand. And I go, praise God. Like, have you, have you tried that conversation yet? Well, I don't believe in Jesus. Why are you decorating? So you're, you're celebrating a birthday party that, for somebody that you've never, you don't even know. But do you realize how powerful that is? They're seeking the answer. I, 
This means that every conversation that we have has the ability for a person who doesn't know hope, love, peace, joy of Jesus to be introduced to it and experience what we're experiencing. And then in that, there's a unity that comes. The church is a beautiful thing. It's messy. Why? Because it's made up of a bunch of individuals who come from a whole lot of different places and have a whole lot of opinions. The one thing we do not lack is opinion. Why is the church beautiful? Because it's people coming together to profess what? That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That it's people coming together that profess with our mouth and believe in our heart. And it supersedes all of the differences. It overcomes all of the hurt, the trouble, the anger, disappointment, the frustration. It overcomes all of the beautiful things in our life that aren't necessarily wrapped around Christ. It it binds us together, why? Because it's the same thing. We find that joy in the thing that never changes, Jesus. It's the same thing. There's, at Christmas time, I find myself thinking a lot about the people that I know that don't know Christ. And I also find myself thinking a lot about people that I was very close to who have died and not known Christ. Um, my, I have a stepsister and sometimes I, she died before we moved out here and I think about where she's at and what's going on. And I get emotional of it. I know that my time with her, she heard the gospel from me several times. She hopefully saw it lived out. When we think about those things, I, I'm often, I often wonder if what I'm displaying to others is something fake like a spirit of Christmas or if it's actually grounded in the joy of Jesus. And here's the thing. I, the gospel's fascinating because you get conviction and joy at the same time. So that convicts me. But here's, this is the, the joyful part of this is that we have the answer. I, I know what that person needs. I don't sit across from an individual who's hurting and doesn't know Christ and not have an answer for them. I don't always have the specifics of how to get through what maybe they're going through specifically, but I can tell them that you can find joy in it through Christ. Because you'll have something that you're grateful for that supersedes everything else. And you find strength. I remember in the, in the book of Nehemiah, it says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. You ever think about that? It doesn't say that your doctrine's your strength or that even your belief is your strength. These are grounded in that. What's your strength? The joy of the Lord. Well, the joy of the Lord is dependent upon those things, but it's the joy of the Lord. Your gratitude for something that can never be taken away from you provides you your greatest strength in Christ. That's crazy to think about. Why? Why is it so strong? Because if I'm going through something horrific, somebody else is going through something horrific, in the midst of that, by the power and the grace of the Holy Spirit, I can go, but I have Jesus. And nothing can change that. Nothing can rip that away from me. I'm His and He's mine. He saved me. It doesn't matter what happens. I have that. And if your mind goes there, then what happens? You begin to get grateful in the midst of something difficult and your emotions change and your heart changes and you begin to view the circumstances that you're going through as maybe not so pivotal. It might be hard. It doesn't mean it goes away. But you can get through it in joy. 
Every single person. It's the same answer. And then we get to verse 14. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him in whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the Gospel. You guys get to. You get to. I'll go back to the disease analogy. There's movies you can watch, you know, conspiracy theorists, right? Whatever, I don't know. But if you picture this, there's a disease out there and everybody's got it and people are dying from it. And there's the group of people over here who have the answer. They literally have the remedy. And they're picking and choosing who they're going to give that remedy to. It's not that far-fetched, I guess. But they're picking and choosing who they're going to give that remedy to, right? From the outside, we would look at those individuals and go, you mean that you have the ability to save people? You have the ability to cure that disease and you're keeping it here? Now, it's a bad analogy because we don't have the ability to save people. Jesus does. But what we do have is the privilege of helping administer the drug. Like We have the privilege of injecting Jesus into the life of every single person that we come across. Just like a shot. You have the ability to express hope, peace, love, and joy to every single person that you meet. Not because you're great. And not because you've figured it out, but because hope, peace, love, and joy have been given to you in Christ. It's fascinating. I, I have, my prayer life has changed as I've I hopefully grown in the Lord. And one of the things I don't ask for anymore is, Lord, can you give me more joy? Because I think he goes, I've already given you all you need. So my prayer is different. Lord, don't, don't give me more joy. You've given me the max joy you can possibly give me. My prayer now is, Lord, would you help me live in the joy that you've given me? I don't need to pray for hope. I need to pray that I'll live in the hope that comes in Jesus. I don't need to pray for peace. I need to pray that I live in the peace that comes with Christ. I don't have to pray for love because I just need to live in the love that Jesus gives me. And then this passage is telling us that not only do we get to live in it along with everybody else who professes and believes, but we also get to declare it. We get to preach it. One of the greatest frustrations in this city, and I'll flat out tell you because I'm very critical oftentimes of like the South and big church world and all that stuff, right? You've heard it. It's my own flaw. But one of my biggest criticisms here is it feels like the churches around here believe that all you need to do is just kind of show up and hear the gospel preached to you instead of getting out and preaching it yourself. This city will be reached if the church that exists here already would say, wow, evangelism and the ability to preach to others isn't something that I have to do, it's something that I get to do, and it's something that I live in on a daily basis. Why? Because I'm overwhelmed with the hope, the love, the peace, and the joy of Jesus. Is that cool? There's opportunities everywhere, right? Like, look, we have these coffee houses and it's like we say all the time, you can go into a coffee house and have conversations with anybody you want. That's a tool that can be used for you. It's a great tool that can be used for you. You don't even have to go find people. They just show up because they want a good cup of coffee, right? But here's the thing, you can't just show up you don't just sit across from somebody and strike up a conversation with a cup of coffee and it just magically happens. You have to display it, live it, and speak it. 
you have to profess it. And when I ask people like, why aren't you professing it? Oftentimes what I'm realizing is because they're not living it. You're not speaking it because it's not the first thing on the tip of your tongue. Why isn't it? Because I'm not, I'm not tapping into the hope, the peace, the love, and the joy of Christ. I'm tapping into the spirit of Christmas. What would it look like if just the church, I don't know, this church, pick this one, this little tiny church in East Boston. What would it look like if this church and everybody who was in it said, my goal at Christmas is to be reminded that I have the hope, the joy, the love, the peace of Christ in me to its fullest, and I have the ability to experience it every single day. What would happen? It would be contagious. This is when people would walk up to me, they'll pick on me, and go, I'm watching what you're going through in your life, and I don't know how you're doing it. How are you doing this? And now I get to preach. Let me tell you how I'm doing it. My life preached to you now. I need to profess this with my mouth. But it's really heart-wrenching to think that we have this moment where the world is attentive and they're searching. Christmas movies looking for the spirit of Christmas. It is absurd when you think about it because none of us can define that. But people are searching for something and we have the remedy. We're privileged to get to talk to people about Christ. We're privileged to get to display the hope, the love, the peace, and the joy of Jesus. Now this one's about joy, so let's finish this up. How grateful are you? Because here's the thing. Please, I'm not picking on anybody specific, because I can pick on me too, because the same thing will happen. If you come up to me and say, how's your day? Typically, I'm gonna say two things. First, it's good. Second, I'm tired. And if I go to many of you, that's gonna be your same response. Because <laughs> we live in a very fast-paced city and we're exhausted and we're constantly hustling, right? And I get it. I, I wonder what that portrays to people. Like, if somebody walks up to me and they're like, how you doing? I'm doing great. How you feeling? I'm, I'm tired. What have I just passed on? I wonder, I wonder what it would look like if in the midst of those conversations, in the midst of just those simple moments, where somehow, by the grace of Jesus, that they would see hope and love and peace and joy in me. Even in that moment, what would happen? Now here's the thing, when it comes to joy, it means that it's grounded in gratitude. So if you tell me what I'm not grateful for, I can give you a list. I don't often, I mean, even if it's funny, if you say, what are you grateful for? I can give you lists of what I'm grateful for, but none of those things produce joy. The only one I can say that produces joy is Jesus. So in order for us to be joyfully impactful to others, our greatest thought process has to be, I am grateful for the gospel. That has to be the first thing that's there. I'm grateful for the person of Jesus. I'm grateful for who he is and what he's done. I'm grateful that he has saved me. I'm grateful that nothing can be removed from that. So just as you're thinking through this, like somebody says, what are you grateful for? Is that the first thing that comes to mind? If it's not, we probably can relate, correlate that to, man, I'm probably not displaying the joy that I have the ability to display. They're simple things. 
Here's the thing. For those of you who are Christ followers, how joyful have you been? And you can't judge joy based upon, well, I've been happy, right? How joyful have you been is grounded in how have you handled the trials and the tribulations of life? And has joy still remained? What does that mean? Are you still grateful? It changes everything. And this is where I want to grab, I just, if you get this, I will be happy. In Christ, you have the ability to be grateful always. And that in turn will change everything. It makes what appears to be massive in our world be very small. And it reprioritizes our agendas and it refocuses us on what's important. Maybe I don't need to confront that individual who cut me off. Maybe I need to be joyful and display Jesus to them. Changes everything. So how's it going? How's it going this Christmas? Like, what's your gratitude grounded in? For those of you who might are here and you say, well, I don't, I don't know Jesus. Well, here's the thing. I love you enough to tell you this. And I already have. You can't experience hope, love, peace, or joy without him. And your life is going to look like this constant cycle of trying to find something that's going to make you happy or produce a false joy that's ultimately going to disappoint you. Because the one thing we know in life is life always changes and people change. Jesus doesn't. True celebration at Christmas needs to be an understanding of what Jesus has actually given us in hope, peace, love, and joy, and then living it. So which one do you need to focus on? Can't do it all at once. Hope, peace, love, joy. It's there in Christ. It's there. It's there. You've got to live it. Tony's going to come up and we're going to sing another song, I believe. And we have communion elements out for you. I want this to be personal for you guys today as you evaluate this process. What is your hope grounded in? What is your love grounded in? What is your joy grounded in? Is your peace grounded in? And is it Christ? And if it is Christ, are you living in it? If not, what needs to change? Scripture makes it very clear that when we come in contact with Scripture that we're not supposed to just go, oh, that's really nice. There's actually supposed to be a heart change that occurs with it. There's supposed to be sanctification that occurs. So what is it that the Holy Spirit's saying, this is something that needs to change? And I don't know, that can look different for everyone, but I will tell you it's grounded in the same thing, and that's Jesus. If you're here and you don't know Christ and you want to talk to somebody, you can come find me. You can find Pastor Matt. He's in the back. Or like always, you can turn to the person next to you and say, do you know Jesus? And they say, yes. Say, can we have a conversation? Um, but my, my desire is that you won't leave here the same. That somehow the Holy Spirit will say, needs to hit here. Or it needs to hit here. But it needs to hit. Father, thank you for your word. It's amazing how we can mess up something like Christmas. But Lord, we're grateful that even in our failure, it can never be messed up. Lord, I want to pray for anyone in here right now who has never given their heart to Christ. I pray that you would remove their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh that today they might profess with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus is who he says he is for them. Lord, give them the boldness and the courage to ask questions and to talk to someone. But Lord, mostly I just ask that you would help them understand their own depravity and their need for you. Bring them to a place where they understand they need a savior. And Lord, for your church, Christmas is such a beautiful thing. It's amazing to think that you 
even desire to do what you did. Lord, we get it wrong sometimes and we, we know that you, in your coming and in the gospel, that we have these gifts, but Lord, we don't use them as often as we should. So right now, I just pray specifically for the churches in Boston, Lord, that those who believe would understand that they don't have to seek after these things, they just have to live in them. So Lord, would you remind us of that? Would you remind us that peace and love and joy and hope are ours? They're there in Christ. And Lord, would that well out of us in such ways that it becomes contagious to the world around us and that we would understand the privilege that we have of explaining our hope and our love and our joy and our peace? Lord, we're so grateful for you. I pray that our motivation would always be in gratitude for what you've done. So Lord, make us thankful. We love you. Thank you for all of these things. In Jesus' name, amen.